Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Church. So glad that you're here today. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's glad to be uh, back in Montrose, and I'm glad to be here in the middle of our Christmas series called Unlikely Christmas. We're really looking at a bunch of the events that I think for a lot of us, especially if you grew up in church, you took these events for granted because you learned them from a child, and then as you get older, you just kind of assume that that's normal and this is the way things normally happen. And in the Christmas account in the Bible, it is not the way things normally happen. And so we're just getting into those aspects of that for the next few weeks as we head into Christmas. I want to welcome those joining us online and our family in Hancock as well. So glad that you all are here and glad that you're here in the room. When we look at the Christmas account in Scripture, we find that piece by piece, even before Jesus was born, everything about his birth and about his coming and how it was predicted and all of the the circumstances surrounding it are just strange. They're just really, really weird. A virgin birth, we looked at that last week. We talked about uh, God choosing this young woman, Mary, to be the mother of, of Jesus. And Mary, though confused and disturbed, finally said, I got it. I will do it. Whatever you said, I'm just going to do. And that's amazing. But what we're looking at is not only the Christmas story, but the events in our lives. In fact, I want to encourage you this series to think about the events in your life that you're not proud of, that you wish didn't happen, that caused you pain, that you don't really like to think about. Because I think what the Christmas account in Scripture is going to show us is that those are the very types of events that God uses to bring about incredible outcomes. So today we're going to talk about the timing aspect of Jesus' birth and uh, and, and the long waiting that took place. In fact, I want to show you a word, a word that I do not like. It's part of the English language, and it's this word, wait. Wait. Just wait. I hate waiting. Maybe you do too. It's something I try to avoid. It doesn't really matter um, what it is. I don't like waiting. In fact, if I have to wait, I want to find something to do so that it doesn't feel like I'm waiting. I don't like waiting for my online order to arrive. I don't like waiting for the update to finish. I don't like waiting in line. I don't like waiting to receive a call. I don't like waiting to receive a paycheck. And I imagine you're with me on that. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But it's not one of the parts of life that I have yet learned to enjoy. Maybe when I grow up, I will like waiting. But waiting is inevitable. It's inevitable. And sometimes it's the very best thing for me and for you and the very thing that God uses to accomplish something good in your life and in my life. When something's promised or even expected, but the fulfillment of it is delayed, For me, it causes me to lose hope, and I think maybe I heard that wrong. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe there was fine print I I just overlooked. Maybe they didn't, didn't mean what I thought they meant, and I can just get disillusioned about the whole thing and, quite frankly, be ready to walk away from something that I really, at one point, was looking forward to. Maybe you can relate. So what do we do when God's timing seems suspect and unlikely to produce Anything good in your life or in my life? What do we do when the likelihood that he'll come through doesn't seem like it's going to work out? That's what we want to look at today. In the year 2000, 
I uh, attended Baptist Bible College, now Clark Summit University. Went there to study uh, to pursue a degree in pastoral ministry. Spent four years there. It took me all four years uh, to get my bachelor's degree. When I finished that, uh, it was pretty clear to me and mostly to the other people in my life that I was not ready to be unleashed in a church anywhere. So they said, you need to keep studying. And so in order to do that, uh, I got a job and I worked my way through. I worked at UPS, and here's a little flashback uh, from my days at at UPS. Um, the, the fourth year of my master's degree was a, a one-year internship in a local church, and I could not wait to get there. I couldn't wait because this is, this is Cole uh, back in the day, and um, when we just had him, I couldn't wait to walk away from that job. And if you work there, sorry, um, hope you like it. I didn't. Uh, but as a college student, that's how I got my way through. But it finally ended, and I, so seven years of classroom study, one year of internship, and finally I landed in a church and was doing full-time Christian work in a local church. It was great. And uh, all along the way at this church, yep, that was, that was there, um, all along the way at this church, they, there was talk of hiring me when the internship was over. Like, hey, this has been really fun. You're doing really well. We'd like for you to join us on staff. And I was like, yes, finally. And uh, toward the end of that, that year, they approached me and said, we got bad news. We don't have the money to do it. You're going to have to do something else. Now, I didn't have a backup plan. I did have a standing offer to go back here, which was highly unattractive. I had an offer at FedEx but after, picture this, after eight years of studying to do one thing, there was nothing for me. Yet I had Cole, and we had, we had Maggie, and then Sadie was on the way. Kristen was pregnant with her. So here I am, finishing this job. It ends. I have nothing. We're living in, in upstate New York, and I got to find something to do. So I did. I, I talked to all the people I knew who I thought might offer me work, and I just worked. I, I cut down trees. I, I uh, did demo in the buildings in town. I, uh, I did some renovation work. I did landscaping, anything for income because I didn't have it anymore. Our insurance was going to run, run out, but we did the Cobra thing, so I was able to, to get by on that. All the while, the clock is ticking. Sadie is going to be born at some point. Where and where will the money come from, and, and, and how are we going to take care of that? I don't know. It was a terrible time of waiting for us until one day, about two months into this process, I get a phone call. I'm in the middle of the woods. My phone rings. I'm working a chainsaw, but I felt my phone vibrate, which is weird picked it up, and it was the pastor of a church looking for someone with my particular skill set. He said, we would like to interview you and, and talk about the potential of you coming here to serve. Well, that was it. God did it. And I know as I tell that story, compared to many of yours, and I don't think some, I think many of your stories, that's nothing. And I'm not presenting it to you as this gloomy tale of difficulty and despair. I'm just saying that for our time in life, for our stage of life and what was going on, that was super tough. It was tough. What was God going to do? And, and was my eight years of study wasted? I, I'm just going to go uh, do something different now? And we could have gone back. I could have done something else. We just didn't sense that's what God had for us. So we didn't. I just waited for a local church waited for something to happen. I will tell you that probably the biggest thing that happened in that 
only two months of waiting um, was what I learned about me. I did not wait well. Um, I would like to tell you that I was like, God's good. Amen? God works out all things for good. He's got this. No, all I knew was my alarm was going to go off earlier than I wanted. I was going to work harder than I had hoped, and I was going to get paid far less than I had dreamed. And then I was going to do it all over again, over again, with, with really no end in sight. And I would like to tell you that all of the Scripture, all of the Bible that I studied for that whole time just came flooding to my mind and out of my heart and out of my mouth. And I was just a picture of, of, of trust in God's goodness and in his character. And i tell you what, that was not me. I tried. I scratched and clawed my way to hope in God. God was going to come through. I knew that. Maybe not how I expected. I kind of thought he would cover my college expenses too, and he did, but through this job. That's how, that's how we got by. God had a plan. He had a purpose. But listen to this. Part of that was waiting. Not just the next thing. Not just cover you now. Waiting. And I hated it then, and I do still hate it. But I want to submit to you that how I responded during that time of waiting revealed way more about me than about God. Because here's thing, one thing that I did learn about God through the waiting. Time doesn't defeat God's plan and doesn't erase his goodness. To me, that's a hindsight statement. But now that I know that and have learned that, I, I do cling to that. It's helpful. It said something about my lack of character, my lack of goodness, not about God's. So we're going to hit that again, but I want to tell you that God uses your time of waiting. And some of you have been waiting a long time, waiting for a spouse to change, a child to turn their life around, the check to come in, the sickness to go away, the baby to be born, waiting for your loved one to come home, waiting. And I'm sure, honestly, for some of you, you're just waiting for this whole Christmas season to move on because it's painful. I know that's in the room. I know that's here among us. And what I would like to do with you today is go to Luke's Gospel, uh, second book, third book in the New Testament, and he, he gives an eyewitness account really, uh, or he records an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. We're going to look at two people mentioned in the Christmas account in Luke chapter 2 who had to do, do a great deal of waiting. They were waiting for Jesus' birth. On the day that sin entered the world, God made a promise. We find it in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to do something. He was going to send a Savior to deal with this problem. If I'm God, I'm thinking, this is a great big problem. I have the solution I'm just going to get on that right now. But God's solution involved thousands of years. Lots of promises and a whole lot of waiting by a lot of people. I mean, think about this. A thousand years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 7:14 says this. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I have to imagine when Isaiah delivered that prophecy on behalf of God to the people, they were like, yes, 
Bring it on. Isaiah 52, 9. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The prophet's talking like it already happened. Like, yes, it's here. God has delivered, and the people were like super encouraged. And then time. A lot of time. So the Savior was promised to come. And then 400 years after the last person spoke on God's behalf to the people. There were no dreams, no visions, no words from a prophet. It was just people with this promise, these promises, and more, waiting for Jesus to come. And nothing. God went dark. And a lot of people lost hope. Generation after generation wondered why in the world, if we're in the spot we're in, and and things are as bad as they are, why is God not doing anything? Where is this Savior? Did he abandon us? Did we misunderstand something? Are these lies? And before long, the hope of deliverance through a Savior seemed highly unlikely. Deliverance was not coming. Hope was lost. You might as well just adjust to life as you know it and do the best you can. But looking back on this, look at what the Apostle Paul says about this coming of Jesus in Galatians 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children at the right time. So I think what I've noticed is my right time Vastly different from God's right time. Most of the time. The right time. So for 400 years, nothing. I don't think that makes sense to me. But what I have to conclude, because Jesus did come, and he really did die for your sins and for mine, the sins of the world, that um, what makes no sense to me makes perfect sense to God. And so Luke gives us insight into what we can do when we're in that spot. When our hopes or even our promises are delayed, what do we do? We'll look at two people. Here they are. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. So I'm going to show it to you on the screen, but if you have your own Bible or device, you can navigate there. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, just ask the person next to you, how do I get there? Uh, Fail safe, we've got it here for you. Uh, We're going to look at this man named Simeon. Here we are in Luke 2, verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Okay, first up, Simeon. This guy gets a promise from the Lord that he's not going to die until Jesus comes. I don't know how old he was. We don't have any indication of that. All I'm saying is that's a great promise, but there had to have been mornings where he's getting up and he's like, uh, oh, it better be today, right? Or he's coughing and it just feels, he's like, oh, that, better, that baby better be coming because I think my time is about up. 
But he's living in this world where the rest of the people had been waiting for 400 years. Their grandparents didn't see Jesus. Their great-grandparents didn't see Jesus. Their great-great-great-grandparents didn't see Jesus. And here he is eagerly hoping because he was given a promise, even though it seemed unlikely to happen at all. I can just imagine the people around him, his friends, it's never going to happen. Dude, just die already. Just stop. You must have heard wrong. How much did you have to drink that day? Honestly. But Simeon kept waiting, kept believing, kept obeying, kept trusting. I want us to notice his character. Luke says he was righteous and devout. If you're going to be named or labeled righteous and devout, you had to do something right for a long period of time. Why? Because reputations take a long time to be established, right? We know they're crushed, broken in a moment, but they take a long time. And he was righteous and devout, eagerly waiting. And I look back at my experience and say, I don't, no, I, I don't, I not only not think, I know righteous and devout would not have been the labels to put on me, waiting two months for a job in a church. Two months. I, I think, listen, I, I think lots of us can play act for a little while. And be like, oh yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. But over a long period of time, who we really are just comes out. Same with Simeon. Amazing. Even when everyone else around him perhaps is telling him, just give up. It seems God places a value on unlikely timing that I don't. And if this is true, then God is using your waiting for good. And here's the first thing you can do when God's timing seems unlikely to produce anything good. Even when God's timing feels unlikely, we can actively rest in God's promises. Actively rest. Maybe some of you are in the workout world. You, you do exercise, you work out. Then you, if, you, if so, you, you've heard of a thing called active recovery, right? This is like you're resting, but you're doing things while you rest. In fact, if you follow a regimen or a plan, those leaders, they do, it does not feel like rest. Do some work while you're not working. This is what it feels like. But I think that's what Simeon is doing. He's actively resting in God's promise. Even when your spouse changing is unlikely. When a friend coming to know Jesus is unlikely. When your circumstances seem unlikely to change, you can actively rest in the promises of God, reciting his promises to yourself, encouraging yourself, choosing to worship while you wait. What promises? What, what could we possibly cling to? Here's just a little handful I'll toss out to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I'm only 42, but the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that day when this is improved. I think I've done what I can. Romans 8, 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. This is how we can actively rest. Soaking in these promises. Or Hebrews 13, 5. It says, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Day after day, Simeon kept trusting the Lord. Look what else Luke says. 
verse 27. That day the Spirit led him to the temple, that's Simeon. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Finally, God's promise was fulfilled. And he didn't say, I can't believe it. He wasn't shocked. It wasn't if, it was finally. Finally, why? Because he did not give up in hoping in God. God has kept his promises before. He will keep them Again, even if his timing seems suspect, which begs a question for you and for me. What comes out of you when you have to wait? Worry or worship? I already told you mine. Now secondly, just so we can move on from that question because it's a little bit uncomfortable. How do you actively rest? Notice this about Simeon. He kept doing what he ought to do while he waited for God to do what he said he would do. Waiting changed nothing about God's commands, instructions, laws. He just kept doing what was right, waiting for God to come through on what he said he would do. This is how we actively rest in God's promises, even when the timing seems unlikely. Now, shift gears here. Let's look at the next person we're introduced to. First, a man, now a woman. Her name is Anna. Anna's life had been filled with difficulty. Luke says she was married only seven, for only seven years, then widowed, and then lived single all the way to the age of 84. Now, in this day, she would have been at risk for poverty or abuse. If you, have, if you don't have sons, you have no husband, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So let's look at what she was doing, Luke 2, verse 36. Anna, a prophet, interesting, no new word from God, but there she was, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Evidently, we know what God deems as very old. It's 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So what did she do as she was waiting? Get bitter? Get busy in everyone else's business? No, Luke tells us she decided to worship and serve God while she waited. Now, different from Simeon, she didn't have a direct promise, like no direct word to her that she would see Jesus before she died. All she had was the prophecies from Isaiah and other prophets who predicted Jesus' birth. That's all she had. She had what everyone else had. Deliverance is coming. And that's all she needed, apparently. She worshiped and she waited. Look at verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. I love this. She was waiting for Jesus to come, and when he showed up, she wasn't even confused. She knew exactly who he was because she set her hope on him. She rested in God's promises. She praised. She fasted. 
She prayed, and that's exactly what we need to do. Here's the second thing we can do when we are waiting. Even when it's unlikely, we can actively wait with praise, fasting, and prayer. As I shared already, my top three would be like worry, complain, manipulate. That's what I feel like doing when I'm waiting. That's not what she did. She waited decades. I waited two months. She prays. She reminded herself of God's faithfulness, and she had remembered how she'd already seen God move on her behalf. She fasted. She eliminated distractions to help her focus when she desired food. Say, no, 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 no. What I need more than food is for God to fulfill his promise. I'm waiting for that. And she prayed. She offered her desires, her thoughts to God, working to align her desires with God's desires. And I have to imagine this is a lonely business. For a woman who's lost her husband and lived single, doing temple work, a prophet with no new word from the Lord to give, how lonely, how dejected could you possibly get and feel like you're the only person in the world who's still holding on to hope? But let's go back to verse 38 and notice what that says. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. Catch this. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Evidently, she wasn't alone. Evidently, she wasn't the only person. Apparently, there was a people, a group of people maybe, who, like Simeon and like Anna, were waiting. And while they waited, they were actively resting in God's promises. They were actively, they were actively hoping in God, waiting with prayer and with fasting. It seems like when we're in the spot, no one understands and there's no one who gets it. Let me tell you, that's just a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. He wants us to think we're all alone. There's no one who would understand. And so we don't talk about it. We just waste away day by day in our dark moments thinking we're all alone. Can I just say to you, I think this is why God provided the church. This is perhaps why you need to be in a small group even to find that there are people like you who are not perfect, who don't wait well, but who are desperate to cling to God's promises and trying so hard to actively wait while it, like they ought to? If you're thinking that there's no one like that in your life, I would encourage you, you need to jump in a small group. They're going to be relaunching again in January, and you just need to get in on that. That's not the only answer, but that's certainly something that's right here for you, easy to do. Two months, Kristen and I waited for God to come through providing a ministry for us to serve, and we just wanted to do what we had trained to do. Steady income for our family. It was just scary, and it was lonely. It was not easy. But truthfully, that is not the last time we've had to wait on God. It seems he values this method and has used it in our lives over and over and over again. And for some of you, you're just like, that's my whole life. 
I want to say I'm sorry because it's not easy to go through. But I am saying God is good in all of it. He seems to put a value on waiting that I don't. But he's always been true to his character. He's never violated his word. He has never failed. In fact, Paul writes to the Philippian church later on. I think maybe they must have been struggling with something similar. Here's what he says in Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where do you need to trust him like that today? Your future, your relationships, your finances, your health, I don't know. could be anything. But we need to wrap our minds around the truth that God is using your waiting for good. Easy to say, I get it, hard to live. Hard to hold on to that one. But Simeon and Anna had all sorts of reasons not to hold on to hope, to just give up. Yet they stand as examples for us to follow because Jesus came through for them. He will come through for you. Even when his timing seems unlikely because time doesn't defeat God's plan and doesn't erase his goodness. What would it look like for you today to actively rest or actively wait? Let me, let me give you four suggestions, okay? First, you need to identify a person to help you. There's got to be someone in your life. If you don't know someone who can help you rest in God's promises, a person who can help you filter out lies and focus on truth, and talk to someone who knows someone. Certainly there's someone in this room Certainly there's someone online. Certainly there's someone in the room with you in Hancock who can help you. Find a person who's going to actually tell you truth. Secondly, find a promise to rest in. Maybe it's one of the promises that we identified today from Romans 8 or Hebrews 13. Maybe there's another one. You just need to rest in it, and you just need to hold on to that and use it as an anchor. Thirdly, I'd encourage you to find a song to refocus you. Even Jesslyn's story talked about a song had the words from a song in her story. Maybe there's a song for you that you just need to live with for a while. Play it on repeat. I'm a person who can play the same song on repeat a whole day. Horrifying for some of you, I know. That's how I roll. Whatever you need to do to focus on truth and filter out lies, do it. And lastly, find a group to support you. How difficult to do this alone or to feel like you're alone while you wait. So if you're online, talk to your chat host. Ask for prayer. If you're in Hancock, talk to, per- to a person in the room with you. If you're here in this room, talk to someone in this room with you. We want to help you. Would you pray with me? God, we <coughs> just find ourselves waiting all the time. And I know because of what we looked at today, that the timing, the problem with the timing is, is a me problem. It's not a you problem. So I have great need of you to help me actively rest and actively wait. Because I don't want to do that. It's not natural to me. It's not even enjoyable. But you do so much good in it. And I am asking that for me and for everyone who has joined us today, 
you would blow us away with what you do while we wait that we could never even hope to have accomplished if we were so busy the whole time just doing it ourselves. Help us to remember and to believe that you are good. We praise you now together in Jesus' name. Amen.